if I look look back in our portfolio, the founders that are successful were really tenacious. So they just like don't give up. I think this comes back to the immigrant thing. Like to make it, you can't give up. Like you said, you eleven year journey. So people just like if you just survive, you increase your odds of success. Hey everybody, welcome to the Building Public podcast. I'm your host KP, and on this show, I interview world class entrepreneurs ambitious startup founders, creators, and builders on the internet who are boldly building the future in public. This podcast is my excuse to take you all on a curious journey to understand, learn, and hopefully be inspired by the worldviews, insights, and stories of these fabulous people changing the world. So far, I've gotten the rare privilege to sit down with incredible guests like Gary Vee, Alexis Ohanian, Kat Cole, Sahil Levingia, and many more leaders. So check out the full podcast listing at buildingpublicpodcast.com. Now buckle up and get ready for our latest episode. In today's episode, you will meet Sheil Mahonot. Sheil is a co-founder and general partner at Better Tomorrow Ventures, simply called BTV, a $225 million fund that leads rounds in pre-seed and seed stage fintech companies globally. Sheil and his co-founder, Jay Gibson, invested for many years together before founding BTV and wrote checks into top startups like Ramp, Flexport, Albert, Unit, Kin, and Mercury, which I love. He tweets under the account at Pit Desi, P-I-T-D-E-S-I, where he shares tips for early-stage founders and occasional updates on its recent wedding in the Taco Bell metaverse. Yes, it sounds ridiculous, and yes, he's self-aware, but it is actually quite wholesome. Check it out. Anyway, prior to BTV, Shield ran the fintech division of 500 startups for seven years, and before that, he was a founder, founding two companies, and both of them uh, were acquired. Aside from fintech, he also co-founded the podcast The Pitch, which was acquired by Gimlet Media and eventually Spotify. Shield has an MBA degree from the University of Michigan and a Bachelor's of Science degree from Carnegie Mellon. Finally, as part of this fund, his latest focus is The Mint, which is a fintech-themed accelerator that kicks off on August 1st in SF. So if you're a founder interested to join The Mint, apply at www.themint.vc. My interview with Shield was such a fun and engaging conversation, and probably one of my favorites this year. With that said, I bring you Shield. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. I am super thrilled today to be joined by Shield Mahanut, joining us from Mexico City right now, but uh, typically in the Bay Area. Uh, Shield, I could go on and on about your achievements. You're a, you're a multi-exit fintech founder, <laughs> and one of the ways that I sort of I have the image of you in my head is uh, the metaverse thing. The Taco Bell love, <laughs> yeah. um, the Justin Bieber appearance. The, 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 you know. yeah. Basically, I'm going through the list of things that I mentioned to my wife about the guy I'm about to interview. She was like, who's Sheil? And I was like, well, you know. And then your dad's great immigrant story, first-gen story you posted on uh, July 4th, the Pitch Podcast. Such a, like, I can't, I, it's such a unique com- combination of things, Sheil. Like, what, how would you introduce yourself to someone who doesn't know who you are? I'm curious. Who's Sheila right now? Yeah, I, you know, I'm a curious person. I like um, building and starting things. 
I get excited about new ideas and helping people, especially yeah. as they're getting started in their ideas. Let's kick off with the fund, you know, $225 million fund. That's insane, man. That's really insane. Congrats. Well-deserved. I mean, a bunch of people have been saying, I saw the TechCrunch article. And I've seen like when the, you announced the second round of this, a bunch of people responding and like wishing you well. What are you, what are you most proud of, you know, with, with BTV? Yeah, I think there are a number of companies that we were privileged to get to work with. And I think the thing that, you know, I really feel, I feel like it's so cliche to say it, but I really feel like it's a privilege to get to work with these founders. But I think the thing I'm proudest of is how whenever our, uh, a new prospective company talks to one of our portfolio companies, they're super sold on working with us. And I think that is just really exciting. And it speaks to our partnership with founders and, you know, our whole team has the same ethos, which, which I love. You, you, you know, from your tweets and generally the way you engage with the people and like your approachability on Twitter, you know, uh, I have the sense that you have very high conviction that hyper successful people, especially VCs need to have but you have very low ego. What's up with that? What's going on? <laughs> You're breaking Dude, the mold, man. This is not accepted. I can't wait to show this to my wife, this podcast episode, because uh, she doesn't think I have a low ego. I think <laughs> I, like, I'm not it. I know you're direct. I will give you that, right? I'm sure she, <laughs> yeah. you're direct. And I know you said this, that you were on the couple of podcasts. You were like, I'm the, uh, I'm the, I'm the asshole in the room, which, which I yeah, give you yeah, that yeah. you're direct, right? Even in the engagement. But like, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of some of your followers, or at least a lot of your followers, uh, will agree that you're probably the most relatable VC that I follow, at least. Oh, thank Let's you. Put it that way. Yeah, I think um, honestly, I don't know how to be anything else. <laughs> like this is this is the guy yeah, my parents brought there up. There has right? to be some framework because no, the reason I, t I say this, I know it sounds ludicrous on, on even even to call this out, but but I think it's worth calling out because I think people always confuse this high conviction. If you have to be like someone who's non-consensus, right? Which we all yeah. know that's the thing. Yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But I always think that people think that, Oh, it comes with the territory that you also have to be a, almost like an a-hole on Twitter or a-hole on mm. podcasts or whatever, you know? And I think yeah. it doesn't have to be though. Right? Like it's unfortunate. There are so many VCs who I don't know what it is about venture capital in particular. Part of it is you have some power, right? Like you are, are funding these companies. You, to a certain extent, get to decide, you know, pick winners or whatever. Um, and then some, some venture capitalists are just very insecure. And yeah. it's weird because like some of the most successful guys out there are the most insecure people you've ever met. And it's like, dude, yeah. you're already so successful. Why do you have to be also, an asshole you, now? You just won the game. It's like, yeah, you're, like you're, you're great. <laughs> I don't like, get it. I, I mean, we have to touch on this. I know you've covered a couple, a little bit of this on tweets here and there. I, it's probably not the right, it's not the greatest topic to touch on, but I think what is going on with our billionaires, you know, in America? I mean, what is going <laughs> yeah. on with Elon Musk? What is going on? Why, why are they acting like 13-year-old school kids? <laughs> You know, in, in the playground. Like, I, don't I genuinely know. don't understand this, man. Like, I'm like, you already won. You are yeah. 
Like, well, there's no winning, right? Like, what what does what does winning mean? I think I think I don't think there's like ever a having won. There was this thing Elon tweeted, I think, just a couple of days ago that I saw that was levels of wealth. Like some guy yeah. said, you know, first level you can pay your bills, second level you can eat any restaurant, third level you can travel wherever you want without worrying about price. And then, you know, Joe Lonsdale said, level seven is you can raise, equip, and indefinitely maintain a sufficient army to deter nation states. And it's like, dude, I don't give a shit about that. Like, if if there's a big problem in the world, like, I'm happy to die with everyone else. I don't give a shit. Like, if the world sucks, I don't want to be the last one alive. Like, if the world is going to shit, I'm going with it. And then Elon said level nine is to make humanity a multi-planet species and true spacefaring civilizations. And he says that's why he's gathering resources. And hey, that's cool. It's interesting and noble. It isn't something that like really motivates me. It's not something I care about. But kudos to him for that. I would say, look, Elon is an interesting one because up until I think up until more of the Twitter shenanigans, yeah. I thought like he's just having a good time. Like right. he's funny. Like his Humor is, of course, like childish, and you know I'm a childish humor guy. To be to be fair, I, I love a fart joke as much as anybody else, but I think his is probably a little one step below. I feel, I think, I don't know. It's like I feel like there's. I mean, it's probably uh, it's that's the that's my biggest challenge with him to understand it. I, I by the way took the I had a bit of a Elon Musk poster. I took it down after like you know the last man, uh, yeah, eight seven months, and I'll tell you why. Because as an immigrant, he's also an immigrant from South Africa, yeah. an immigrant from India coming over to America, which is the greatest arena in the world, I think, totally. to, be, to be an entrepreneur, um, you look up to a certain number of people for a certain number of reasons. I think his whole mission with Mars and his whole mission about, you know, like energy, I think in 2008 and 9, 10, that period was insanely inspiring. I mean, like even 2015-ish, right? Um, but I think just these dick jokes, this, you know, all these like yeah. ridiculous things. My, it's my ridiculous. Worry is this. My, I have a son who's two years old, uh, Sheol. I always think about this, like, do I want my son to be inspired by Elon Musk? Like the, the behavior. Yeah. The, and people always talk about this bullshit that, oh, yeah, but look at the way all the success is. But that's precisely what I would tell my son is that do not be the kind of person who takes your success too seriously. That yeah. you would go bully somebody else online or you would just like razz on someone uh, in, in, the, in the play field. That is precisely yeah. what we tell our kids. Totally. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think like, having kids gives, gives you that, that interesting perspective of like, who are who are role models? And I, I think what you have to say is there are people that you can respect for what they've done, but maybe not who they are. And yeah. so there's nobody, nobody's perfect, right? So yeah. it, it's, I will say, you know, a lot of kids grow up in America idolizing sports figures. And let's be real, KP. Your son is much more likely to be a great entrepreneur than to be a professional sports player. So yeah. I think I think the Indian uh, jeans, unless yeah. I'm maybe pickleball or something. Who knows, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. You could be the LeBron or pickleball. Come on. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's funny. The first time I played, actually, the second time I played pickleball, we had a team outing uh, for our team a couple of years ago, and uh, we went to this court and we started playing on our own, and then these these ladies came over and they were like, Oh, Hey, do you want to play like teams team up against each other? 
and these ladies were all in their 70s because it was like a weekday daytime. And dude, they smashed us. They like beat the crap out of us. It was so embarrassing. So that is where the humility comes from, I think. You know, I think basically being owned by a bunch of um, we literally grandmas. they had to invoke the mercy rule. It was so bad. So tell us about your dad's story. Let's get there. I'm actually, I was really surprised that I, I don't know if you've shared that before this July Fourth, which I know you posted once. Yeah, you I know. Was, um, it, it came up in, uh, there's a magazine by Mercury called Meridian. Yeah. And um, oh. so they wrote, they wrote a article on me that was very kind. But um, the, the really cool thing was they spoke to my parents and they wrote wow, about, cool. so they wrote about my dad's, my dad, by both my parents' story. And so she actually covered a lot of that stuff in her article after speaking to my dad. And, and that, that was really cool. Um, because I think a lot of people, you know, there's only so many things you can say about a person. So if somebody's written yeah. about you, like what's, what's new, it was cool that she thought, Hey, can I speak to your parents? And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah of course you can speak to my parents. That's cool. They, of course they that was love awesome. it. Yeah. That was such an NPR move to do, right? It was such a cool thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. curious actually. So one question I have about that post, which audience will see, you know, when they, when they get to see the thing is what was for you, the most awe-inspiring part of that story? You know, some of it... There were like, several, but yeah, like, what was the one you would pick? I think the main thing is... It's not a part of the story, but the, the broader thing, which is like realizing the immigrant struggle is something that I didn't have a good understanding for until I became an adult. Like, yeah. my parents... You know, my dad, my dad especially grew up in, like, poverty... But yeah. like did all this stuff so I could have a great life. Like I, I didn't grow up in, in all these hardships. Um, and so that's, it's amazing all the things he did through, you know, and, and being this like, you know, very short Indian guy. I can't imagine him going door to door selling encyclopedias in the 70s in Alabama, yeah. Louisiana and Mississippi. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. think I could do that today. Yeah, and this, this right? guy just came from India and was like, I need to make money. I got to figure it out. I'm going to sell encyclopedias um, to pay back loans and, and buy an apartment. It's, it's wild. That fearless uh, drive. There's something there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think immigrants come with a hunger of like, I got to make it. Yeah. And there's a chip on your shoulder. And I think yeah. a lot of the best founders have a chip on their shoulder. And I think yeah. Im immigrants do so it's kind of like it goes along along with that so we want to guess uh remind me the name again i want to give a shout out as if he ever gets to what's what's your dad's name shanti monot and he would, he would i'll All send right. it to him and and uh uncle, you know uncle g uncle, you know we're, rooting for you. We're, we're grateful <laughs> we're grateful you came over to this to this promised land we're grateful for how you raised shield and you know i think like, that's also the ripple effects right i, I always consciously think about you know, being a parent and like now that I have a son, I consciously think about what decisions I'm making, how I'm carrying myself, how I'm like influencing him because it does, you know, impact the, the next generation. I'm sure like how you're giving a, you know, after like how uh, so many years, you're still talking about his early story, you know, and how he's carried himself and things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. All the ripple effects that, you know, his move, his yeah. drive to do the encyclopedia thing, 
now resulting in you to do the things that you're doing with BTV and like the maintenance crazy man, right? Um, yeah. The other thing about immigrants, like you said earlier, uh, my wife's American and until uh, we got married, she didn't really realize how much paperwork we carry casually. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, all these forms, man. Just she's to like, travel. What is this? <laughs> she, she's like so pissed at the American government. She's like, why is every, like how many? And her biggest pet peeve until then was going to the DMV. And I was like, that's, that's nothing. Going to the DMV was like nothing, you know, in terms of bureaucracy, in terms of how much, how much paperweight, paper shit you have to carry. Um, if you just try to pass through the port of, port of, port of entry as a, as a non-citizen, and you're like, you'll realize like the real, you know, uh, the difference. But the longevity thing, I think the fire, the hunger, is something I've noticed uh, across all of my sort of portfolio, I mean, friends and like peers. There's something about being an immigrant that just, you have a flame that's hard to put out. Yeah. 2011, as I was, we were riffing about before I joined, uh, I jo we recorded the episode. I came to America in 2011, Shiel, um, on 100% scholarship. I couldn't have afforded it anyway. Uh, on that flight, I decided I'm going to be founder CEO. I want to be start a company in America. This is the greatest place to start a company. Yeah. It took me 11 years, six months to be that. And you have to be fucking patient to really, really want it. And with the day I got my green card, the day I applied for LLC, I felt just as hungry as 2011, August 10th, which is when I moved here. And so I think the other thing about immigrants is that there's such a longevity, I think they have, like this chip on the shoulder thing you mentioned, that they truly play the decades, not days game, which I think yeah. carries itself really well to like IPOs or building big startups and long time, you know, things. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a... A thread recently, somebody said, somebody posted some, some like uh, media figure journalist posted about how Indians make great CEOs later, but they're not the founders of these companies. And it's total bullshit, right? So what it is, is of course, of course, you know, we don't have to go through all the successful Indian CEOs, Google, Microsoft, uh, yeah. Adobe, et cetera. But, you know, nobody, we all, everybody knows that. But Somebody said like, oh, it's because they're good at following directions, but not starting something. Fucking bullshit, right? The, yeah. the reason is people come here on a visa. And yeah. if you're on a visa, you need to have a job. And then yeah. the other reason is, even if you're not on a visa, like actually you need some comfort in your life that uh, you can, like, you can't, it's hard to start from actually scratch yes. and be a CEO. Like you need some you need some cushion, some comfort that that immigrants often don't have. Don't so have yeah. naturally, you end up longer. starting in a job, and all these awesome people have worked their way up. But of course, they could have started companies. And I think you, we this, can this do a better a job of helping people to do that. But this is this is why the way when um, was it uh, um, Sam Altman I think on July fourth was tweeting about how like the lowest hanging fruit America can do is simply just fix this you know legal immigration pathway for founders. I mean immigrants who want to be founders, right? Like that's the lowest hanging thing. Like it's not like there's lack of desire to start companies among these first gen immigrants like me. 2011, I'm telling you, 2011 August. I knew that I wanted to start a company, but it took me a long ass time because I had to first finish my master's, then get my student visa, uh, you know, and then OPT, which is another 18 months, 
Then on H1B, got had to be picked by the lottery. So there's so many dominoes had to fall right. And ironically, eventually the way I got my green card is obviously I married an American. That's the dumbest <laughs> yeah. thing. And it didn't happen. But like, that's the dumb. If I didn't do that, it would have taken another 15 years. So I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, this whole game is rigged. But, yeah. But I feel like, you know, regardless of how it, it, it comes out to be, I think that the, the way when I look back is um, the, thing, the things that I'm grateful for is that's why I'm not worried about Q3, Q4 results. Like as, a, as an immigrant, you just have this decades mentality that you want to, you know, play the long game, partly because you don't have a choice. But more importantly, you realize that great things often take a long time. You know, if you totally it's just you have to build your own foundation, whatever you want to do. So tell us about switching gears. Tell us about the 500 fintech experience. What yeah. were two or three specific lessons you learned from being uh, in charge of that 500 fintech accelerator? Yeah. So uh, the backstory is 500 had invested in um, the first company I was part of called Fee Fighters. And uh, then they, after the second company I, I had got acquired, um, they asked me to join them and they said, hey, come hang out with us, help out, figure out if this is something you want to do. So I hung out for a few, a uh, couple months and I said, hey, I love this stuff. I love helping. The cool thing about an accelerator is you get to help founders at the earliest stages and a lot can change. So the idea can change. The market they go after can change. All, all these things can change. So really at an accelerator stage, you're really investing in people. You're saying, is yeah. this a team that can execute? And that's what you're investing in. And then you get to shape that. You get to help decide if that team, uh, or you can, you can, you help, point them in, in different directions. So yeah. I, I love that aspect of it. So after a couple of months, I said, hey, this, I'm going to do this. And so we struck a deal where I set up a fund and uh, the deal was in all the companies I chose, we would split it. 500 would put up half of the capital and I would put up half of the capital. Originally, uh, it was my own capital. And then I raised a small fund, $15 million fund that uh, bought it out. Yeah. How, so any any top investments you remember from that journey, like your, like yeah. you were like bangers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the top companies from that portfolio are uh, Chipper Cash. It's an African payments company. Yes. Albert, Albert.com. It's a uh, financial services product for uh, for the young, younger people. Uh, Kin, it's a homeowner's insurance company in coastal yeah, states. Mm. Um, Indio is a, uh, uh, got acquired, but uh, was a workflow tool for in commercial insurance. And so these were the top five, but there, there are several more that are still looking really good. Um, these top five were each 50X or more uh, return from where we invested, which, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Do you believe a lot of that experience of working at such early stages uh, parlayed into BTV and now to the Mint? Yeah, I think um, getting started, you know, I think it gave me an appreciation for the accelerator stuff. Like, it was fun, man. Um, it was, you're more than an investor to these companies. Yeah. Like, yeah. they still say it, like some of these founders 
when you listen to them on podcasts, they say like they're super kind to me. I think it's just because uh, like the first person to believe in you and yeah. you know, some of these guys are like way more successful than me. Yeah. And, um, but it's still like one of them, I went out for a drink with one of them and he, <laughs> it's just cheesy, but it's true. He, we were at a bar and there was a drink called the golden ticket. And he's like, I'm going to get this golden ticket. You are my golden ticket. Aww. <laughs> and it was so sweet. Um, so no, I think clip you got to send to your wife, not the, not my yeah. intro. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was really sweet. And I think it's, I think people really, people love the first person to, that believed in them. Yeah. It really is a special thing. And it's a, um, it's a kind of thing that uh, you don't get at later stages. So yeah. I love investing early and people say, you know, as you grow up in the dream. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and many, many folks, as they sort of grow up in venture, so to speak, they start out making investments in, in seed companies and then they work their way up or something like that. That's not our aspiration. And it's because I, I love this stuff. I love helping from yeah. the earliest stages. And then some of our companies that are now, or early companies I invested in are now seven, eight years old you know, some of them 500, 600 people, but most of the early team is gone. Mm. And so the CEO still feels like now I'm catching up with them more because they're like, you know, you're one of the only people that remembers what it was like in right. the early days. Yeah. That's, that's really fun too. I, I love that. Like I said, sticking with the seed stage through and through, you know, as, as a, as a thesis, I think is, is fascinating because like you said, it's, um, I feel like growth stage and later it's it's more of a mathematical investment like it's more of a logical or rational like oh yeah this is gonna make you know this much money there's a lot of proof there's a lot of you know credibility already about a particular startup in the seed stage and pre-seed it's like just you have to have that instinct killer instinct that's why i wonder i feel like some of the best investors are i generally obviously biased but i think are in the pre-seed and seed stage because you need that instinct less data, more of an instinct on identifying the killer entrepreneur uh, or the killer totally. opportunity as opposed to, you know, cities B or C, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. Also the highest returns too, no? Like investing in pre-seed at Coinbase or a seed at Coinbase would have been, would have returned the whole portfolio. Um, exactly. All right. So tell us about the Mint. Um, I'm curious about, so let's talk a little bit on sort of this whole trend of you know, YC for X. I, I don't know if that's how you would phrase, you know, the mint, but like, what's the sort of the genesis of wanting to create an accelerator program that's different from BTV? Yeah. So a lot of the founders from my first time from 500 FinTech were telling me, Hey, my friend is starting a company. Where can I send them to have the experience that I had? And there really was no good answer. And so that was part of it. Part of it was we had a lot of fun and a lot of success last time we did it. So why not do it again? And there was a gap in the market for a FinTech specific one. And, you know, I think YC does a great job, but it's a huge thing. Hundreds of companies. Right. And it's kind of like, it's not, not geared towards FinTech in particular. And it's right. kind of the same advice for scale, which is what makes sense for them. But, Right. I think we could do something a little bit different that's more bespoke. 
So tell us more about when, when does it start? I think it starts in August, no? The next one? August 1st. Yeah. So um, we still, we, we close applications, but actually, you know, if people are still interested, um, you know, reach out to me, we'll figure something, we could figure something out maybe. Um, but it starts August 1st, uh, it goes for three months and in, in, in through uh, October. And I, you know, I'm pretty excited. Demo day in metaverse. What's going on? <laughs> demo day in real life. It's in San Francisco, October 12th. And uh, we have a bunch of, bunch of companies selected already. We're just going through the final, final couple of things and it's looking good. I'm really excited about the batch. That's cool. That's awesome. So in terms of, you know, um, the, the accelerator program or just like BDB, if you reflect on the sort of the top percentile, maybe the top 10 founders, what would be some of the interesting patterns and traits that they have? Like, what, how would you describe, like, among so many great entrepreneurs, who seem to be rising up to the top? What defines... What are the that? traits? Yeah. Yeah, so the traits are, if I look, look back in our portfolio, the founders that are successful were really tenacious so they just like don't give up i think this comes back to the immigrant thing like to make it you can't give up like you said you 11 year journey so people just like if you just survive you increase your odds of success right yeah. so <laughs> some companies like aren't scrappy enough to just keep surviving and i think that tenacity really matters some of these companies that i mentioned earlier like what they ended up doing is different than what they were doing before. Right. Like uh, all of them actually. So like Albert started in one space, moved into another, moved into another, moved into another, moved into another. And they're all related, but they're all a little bit different. Mm. And now they figured something out that works incredibly well, Series D company. And then I think that's, that's true of, of many of these companies. So, okay. So Tenacious and Scrappy, sort of put those together and then bias for action. So if I think about the companies that didn't work out, it's always, they just don't have a sense of urgency mm. and a sense of urgency is just so important. Mm. Do you feel like uh, one startup that comes to mind that's like, has this crazy bias for action is like open AI, man, just watching them shape like that. Totally. I feel like that's like my North Star. You know, if I ever start a company, like just take that photo, like logo, and, like ship like these guys. Because it's so crazy, right? The, the velocity at which they ship. Totally. Which I think Sam Altman talks about all the time. It's like, it's literally the one factor you can look objectively and say, are they going to make totally. it or not? Right? Totally. It's the and, number of times. And people who don't ship make up all sorts of bullshit excuses. I'm not ready. The business is not ready. Blah, the, blah, problem blah, 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 blah. Is, the problem is that they're valid. Mm-hmm. But bullshit, but, right? Like, bullshit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell me about this. A lot of pre-seed and seed founders who listen to the pod, there's this confusion slash conflict about how much time should they be spending building versus talking to users, at least in the pre-seed level. What is your, is there a magical ratio or is there an advice on how much time should be in building versus talking to users? I think it's a mix of both. At the earlier stages, you want to spend a lot of time talking to users, but you got to also build the product. So it, I would say, you know, like we have a company right now that's really executing fast and they're talking to users during the day and building at night kind of every day. So I think it has to be both yeah. equal, equal weighting of both in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Awesome. So bring us to this whole uh, metaverse wedding thing. Tell us. I want to. I want to touch on that for a little bit. Yeah. How did that come about? Is it one, so, of, one of one of like one of many shields? Uh, you know, serendipitous things. Or what happened there? Yeah, I think it is one of many serendipitous things. I think I usually say yes to like crazy ideas that seem like fun and interesting experiences. So this was another one of those. Um, I was uh, on a road trip with my now wife and a bunch of people started tagging me on Twitter like, hey, you should do this because Taco Bell had this contest to apply to get married in the Taco Bell metaverse. And they were like, oh, you're a big Taco Bell fan. You should do this. So, I, you know, I brought it up to her and, you know, to my surprise, actually, she was very, she was open to it. She was like, let's make a video. What's the harm? So we made a video, we submitted it. And then ultimately they tell us that we've won. At that point, we were like, oh, we don't know if we actually want to do this. But then they convinced us to do it by saying we'll be part of the Taco Bell family, which is very exciting. So all of that stuff was great. And then, you know, then we go into this thing and it's this like metaverse so product called... somewhere? Where was it? Like, oh, where wise. is it? So, so what I meant was we go into building this thing. So for, for like yeah, yeah. several months, they're like building this metaverse thing for us. So this wow. it's in Decentraland, which is an existing thing. And then they built a specific arena for us, which was like had an Indian mund up and all this other stuff. Wow. So we had an Indian wedding in the Taco Bell metaverse. <laughs> and <laughs> I rode it on an elephant. It was cool. It was wild. That's so cool. That's so cool. That's so cool. I'm, I'm also it was cool because people of... around the world got to participate. Um, right. You know, I, I actually met somebody like two days ago at a party in Germany. And he said, hey, man, I was at your wedding. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. I didn't, Shield, frankly, I didn't know about you at the time as much, but I would have definitely joined in. Because <laughs> that um, definitely sounds like the, the kind of shit that I get into normally. You know, and also what's, what's amazing is in this whole thing, shout out to your wife too for... Yeah, know, getting along. Seriously, right? Just like yeah. saying yes to. I know you would say yes. I, I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yes. totally. <laughs> it's funny. So we joke because Did the I, WhatsApp you know, blew up. The, the, yeah, totally. Did they see family WhatsApp blow up? Or oh yeah, it all it all went wild. Um, what's What's funny is uh, I'm a venture capitalist, so my job is to say yes to crazy ideas. Right? That's yeah. like what I do. And yeah. she's a lawyer. So her job is to say no <laughs> to crazy ideas. But fortunately, we found something in the middle that kind of works. That's a great balance to have, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so we touched on a lot of things. Um, let's talk about the pitch. I'm actually really yeah. curious about sort of how that got, got to come about and what was your experience like doing that? Yeah, so um, this is in 2015. I was hanging out at home, I was sick. And I turned on the TV and started watching Shark Tank. And I was like, oh, this is kind of entertaining, but it's not real. These aren't real startups that people would invest in. It's like a towel with a hole in it. That's not a venture capital investable <laughs> business. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought, hey, why don't I, why don't I just start recording people who are pitching me? I was an angel investor at the time, not professional or anything like that. And so... Started out that way. I reached out to this guy, Josh, who ended up uh, doing the production behind it. And it was just people pitching me and me giving feedback. And then 
we had other people giving feedback alongside me. Was this peak podcasting 2015, you said, right? Like, was it just like... Yeah, so, so, yeah, I'm trying to think. There was the the Serial podcast. I don't remember when that came out, but it was around that time. So it was like podcasting was getting getting started Um, and it was getting, getting big. And so we launched then and it went pretty well. Was it audio uh, only for listeners? Was it, was it a video component? Audio, audio, only? audio only. We had no video. Um, we just had a photograph of every episode. No, no, no video. It was, it was uh, a good experience. It was super fun. In 2017, January 2017, Apple featured us at the top of the podcast app as like a podcast to listen to. Wow. And that just skyrocketed wow. our listenership. And from that, we got just so popular that um, Gimlet Media reached out. I'm curious, how many episodes did you do by the Apple moment? Uh, About 50, some. 55, I think. Um, Nice. So we were doing, I think we were doing every other week. Yeah. And then this Apple thing came out and then we got a lot of hype very quickly. And then, and then, and actually, I should say, first, our first hype was actually on Product Time. We published on Product Time really? July 2015, and that got us a ton of listeners. And then we didn't really get to grow that much from there until this Apple thing. Then we grew a lot. And then Gimlet Media reached out, and they said, hey, like, would you like to join forces? And we said yes. And so they acquired us. And then Gimlet got acquired by Spotify like a year later. And then, you know, that was, that was a journey. We had, uh, we went from just being this like kind of bootleg operation to having like editors and all this other stuff. It was cool. A real studio. That's wild. It's just, I feel like you, you just attract a lot of serendipitous luck, man. It's just such a great thing to watch. (laughs) I mean, it's a good, in a good way. Like you, I think because you know, part of this building public thing I'm working on, just, I feel like you, you just, you're putting yourself out there a lot, taking some shots. Um, you just, there's a lot of upside than the downside. The downside is that you, you may look a little silly here and there. Totally. You, a person, an average person. Totally. But that's the price. Sometimes you got to pay. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be willing to look stupid and to screw up. And if you're not willing to do that, that's, that's the like no that leads to not having urgency. That's the like, oh no, I'm not going to do this. And you know, sometimes of course that's right, but then you miss out on a lot. And can I tell uh, you about, about that too? I yeah, yeah yeah. When you wrote, I, I don't know which thread, but one of the threads you wrote like a month ago was when I first thought I wanted to have you on the pod. But then I thought I I don't know. I'm not a real. Uh, Right now, a startup founder, like in the sense that I'm not a venture-backable startup founder. I'm not building anything that's like a venture-backable product. I thought maybe I'll wait for two, three years when I want to get there to talk to Sheil. Because you would be one of the first few people I reach out to, you know, if I ever like, go down the venture path to just have a chat. I was like, let's talk. And then something about it made me think that, who cares? He seems like a fun guy to talk to. At least we'll have good content. We'll have a lot of good clips from it. He seems like he's done a lot of fun things. Yeah. A lot of really ridiculous things. It would be fun to just chat. And I'm so totally. glad I reached out to you and DM'd you and you immediately said yes. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Happy to. This has been fun. You you yeah. did your homework. Yeah, thank you. So I think thank you. That yeah. I mean, 
you know a lot, so it's a fun, easy conversation. So I got one last question for you, Shiel. Um, you know, the classic, this is so cliche that every VC gets this, asked this, but I got to ask you this, request for startups. Oh, yeah. Good question. You, do, you, do you have it already in your Apple notes by now to be like, to, to pull it out and just say, you know what, I predicted this, this is such a, you know, predictable question, KP, I'm going to just shoot them or, or do you, do you, do you, uh, do you not get this question a lot? Because I feel like every VC is practically asked this right away. I don't have a ton off the top of my head right now. Every so often, I will go into this phase where I'm like, oh, this idea is the best thing ever. I want to do it. Um, and like, I can tell you a few of those I've had in the past. Um, one was a, uh, a hotel. This is un basically unrelated to FinTech. But like a, uh, there are these... <laughs> So if there was, if you're not doing BDB, if you're doing an alternative, <laughs> yeah, fund. there are these like capsule hotels that are popular in Japan, small, uh, small rooms. And so okay. I, I thought it'd be cool to have one that was like pretty small rooms, but great functional social area. One where you don't have to interact with that many humans to check in. Like it's all, you get a QR code when you book and that opens your room. And because labor is a big part of the cost of yeah. hotels. Right. Um, so, and space is a big part of the cost of hotels. So if you can make the rooms relatively small, but give people space, that would be interesting. Um, shared space. Um, so this capsule hotel was an idea I got, I got excited about for a while. Another one I got excited about was, um, I told you earlier about this company called Albert, albert.com. Part of what they do yeah. is text message based financial advice. So you can text any question and they have humans plus AI who will answer the question. And I was thinking there's so many other areas that could use this. Like if you're a new mom, you could use, you could get advice from this app um, and you could text message anything and you'd pay some subscription, but like right. you probably have all these questions and they could have real doctors behind the scenes answering it. So, mm -hmm. so something like that was, was another idea. And there's a bunch of other things you can build on top of that. And then there's any number of, of fintech ideas too, but uh, those if are you some. Were not I'm curious, if you were not busy with the Mint and the BTV right now in fintech, what would be the startup you would be building? Like, what would be the revolution you'd be behind? AI in fintech or? Look, I think there will be AI in fintech. I think, um, I think it's unlikely that a new, some company is going to be successful just because they use AI and they're going to capture a new share from somebody else. Like, I don't know. I, I met a company uh, at, some, at some, another accelerator's demo day that was like, a replacement for Excel using AI. And I was like, dude, Microsoft invested heavily in OpenAI. Don't you think they already have the distribution? Don't you think they're going to be the winner in this space? So right. I, I don't think those kind of things are going to be successful, but I think there will be a lot of enterprise adoption of AI. And I think, you know, sort of being the picks and shovels to those guys could be really valuable. Yeah, brilliant. So thank you so much. Um, those are all the questions I had, you know, Sheil, this was a fun, this was a fun blast. Thank you for being here, for just being yourself and, you know, and just kind of giving us your honest, candid thoughts on a lot of uh, topics. Awesome, man. Great to meet you, KP. Awesome. Have a good one. See ya. You too.